Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Command Space on 5x5. My name is Mike Early and I have the pleasure today of being joined by Russell Ivanovich. Hi Russell, how are you? Hey Mike, I'm doing really well. Russell, what do you like to be known for? <laughs> that is a very good question. Um, I don't really like to be known for anything. I just like to fly under the radar and, and be free to do my own thing, I guess. But I, I guess maybe if people know me, they probably know... Uh, me and the people I work with for creating uh, the apps Pocket Casts and Pocket Weather. I mean, I, and we're going to get into those apps. Well, maybe more in detail Pocket Casts because Pocket Weather is an Australian exclusive. So, you know, I've not I've not personally come to to play around with it at all. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I mentioned that you you are based in Australia, right? That that's hence the incredible accent. Yes, yes. I, um, I'm very impressed that today we've got two of the best accents in the world actually on your podcast. We've we've done a really good job, I think. The, the, I can only imagine the American people are, are going insane right now. <laughs> yes, either they think that we sound exactly the same or they just can't understand a word either of us are saying. But yeah, we're based in Adelaide, so that's in the very south of Australia, right at the bottom. What got you interested in, in uh, development? Uh, you mean like development originally or yeah. app development sort of specifically? Um, I don't know. I think as a kid, I was really into games. Um, there was always a computer somewhere in the house and, you know, ended up being three or four computers. And I was never actually into programming. I was more just into gaming and, you know, the internet when that sort of came along with my 28K modem. And then it came time to pick a university degree. So I don't know how it works in England and in the USA, but in Australia, when you finish your 12th year of education, you get to choose, like, do you want to go out to the workforce or do you want to go to university? And the way you kind of choose your university degree is you, that, when I did it anyway, you got to set six preferences. So in the order of, you know, all these different courses that you wanted to do, what what are your top six that you want to get into? And um, I can't remember what I put for number one and two. It had nothing to do with programming as far as I know. It was sort of, you know, mechanical engineering and some other sort of engineering. And, and number three, I thought, well, if I can't get into either of those, I, I might try this um, – you know, computer science slash IT thing. That sounds like fun. And that's the course I ended up getting into. And that kind of set off a chain of events where, you know, I got out of university. I was employed um, in the defense sector, which is quite sort of big here in Adelaide. And I worked there for four years, um, you know, with some great people, but it was quite boring work. And that kind of led me to, you know, the point four years into my career, I'm like, I should I should really be doing something I like. You know, it's, it's fun writing Word documents and it's, you know, fun writing software that takes two years where you only get to code, you know, for sort of three months of the year. But and now that I sort of half know what I'm doing, I should I should find a better job. So that's where I kind of moved into the web development side of things. So I did that for four years and, and that was insanely fun. And, you know, I really enjoyed that as well. And and then completely by accident, I guess I got into app development and, and that's where I am now. How long into studying um, computer science did you start to enjoy it? I'd honestly have to say it wasn't until the second year. So I found the, the first year incredibly boring and I didn't really understand programming. You know, I, I sat down and I, I could do the programs that they asked us to do. It starts off quite simple. You know, you're moving this, I forget, it was a frog or a robot around the screen you know, with really basic commands. And I'm like, oh, I kind of get this, but at the same time, I don't. But I reckon at the second year of uni is when I actually started to enjoy it. You know, I enjoyed kind of the, the business side of it. I also enjoyed the, you know, the, the programming side as well. Just the, just the fact that you could, you know, sit in front of a, a terminal and actually make things happen, like on a computer was, yeah, I, I found that quite exciting. So 
Shifty Jelly is the name of uh, your app development company. Before I ask any other question, where does that name come from? <laughs> uh, it doesn't really come from anywhere except our kind of desire. So when we set up Shifty Jelly, it was um, Philip and I were, were the co-founders of the company, and we we were trying to pick a non-corporate name. I guess at that time, both of us had worked you know, eight or nine years, I guess, in various sort of corporate companies of, of different levels. And we thought, if we're going to do something fun on the side, it has to have a name that doesn't sound corporate. You know, you can't be in a boardroom somewhere and someone says, we're going to outsource all our IT sort of infrastructure to, you know, these reliable people at Shifty Jelly. And that's kind of where it came from. We just wanted a quirky name that, that was always going to look like it was something we were doing on the side. It wasn't a, you know, full-time sort of corporate job. And I, I guess we were a little bit aware that we were both employed full-time at the time as well and we didn't want to look like we we're actually competing with you know the people that employed us that that wouldn't be cool either has um shifty jelly always been an app development company uh, it has from from day one so from the, the very first day we chose sort of that name we decided to build it was originally pocket weather in australia and it was in 2008 when apple had first started their app store um, and it was only a month, I think, after they actually launched all their SDK and things. We didn't start it necessarily with the intention of having a company, but the idea was always to to make mobile apps, I guess. So what was it? Was it literally the spark of the App Store that then you guys decided you wanted to, to work together to make a weather app? And then that was what started it all off? Yeah, sort of. So Philip and I worked worked together at, at this web development company that we were at and we were you know we were quite good friends and we got along fairly well and the the app store came out and I think what happened is uh, so the app store came out around June or July and then around August I actually snapped my Achilles tendon so mm. I was kind of had to sit down for basically eight weeks and you know work was kind enough to ship you know my iMac home and ship some other things sort of home and and so I was sitting uh, kind of on my butt basically for eight hours a day with you know, with not a lot to do, I'd finish the work in four or five hours because there was zero distractions at home. And then I'd be left with this, you know, one or two hours. And I'm like, what should I do? And then I sort of opened up Xcode. And I, I think I spent a month just basically trying to make one really basic app where, you know, you tap a cow and the cow would make a moo noise. And you tap the cat and the cat would make a cat noise. And that was pocket pocket sounds. And I actually put that into the store of all places. I guess back then that, that was the thing to do. And I think it made like $1,000 or something. It was insane. And I kind of looked at that and I'm like, hmm, well, that's interesting. Like, you know, I've, I've got the money back that I'd kind of put into paying Apple to be a developer and maybe we should actually do something a bit more interesting. And that's where Philip and I came up with the idea of a pocket weather because the weather data that Apple still supplies to this day to to us here in Australia is terrible. You know, it's many, many degrees off. It, it's raining when it's not raining. It's sunny when it's not sunny. And we just kind of came up with this idea. What if we built a, a weather app? We weren't, so like I said, we're not trying to start a company. We're trying to do any of that. It's just, you know, 10 p.m. on a couch, you know, over iChat or whatever, just building this up. So it was just a, a sort of a side project you were developing and like working on some skills, basically. Yeah, it was just just a bit of fun, like something new had come out, this app store thing, and and Philip and I thought we'd try it. We honestly, I know some people say this and they're disingenuous, but we honestly had zero intentions of, of starting a company. And we didn't really have any idea of being successful either. We just thought, well, we'll make this thing. You know, maybe we'll make a few hundred dollars on the side or whatever. And, you know, it'll be a bit of fun. And so three months later, uh, Pocket Weather Australia was released, you know, version 1.0. 
went to the App Store. And I kid you not, the next day I went to number one in the App Store here in Australia, like overall. And we were just absolutely floored. Like we, we didn't expect that to happen. We didn't kind of even wish that to happen. And and suddenly it was sitting there for, you know, three weeks at, at the number one position. And back then the sales data from Apple wasn't very good either. So we actually had no idea what that meant. Like did we make 10 sales? Did we make, at, you know, 10,000 sales? We, we had no idea whatsoever. We just, you know, sat there flabbergasted that this thing was kind of sitting out at number one in the App Store. Do you think that if you hadn't started when you did, it would be a totally different story for you guys? Like, do you think that you could launch Pocket Weather now and it go to number one in the App Store and change your life? Uh, no, no, I definitely don't. I don't I don't think there's anything particularly special about uh, sort of myself or Philip. I think we were just there at, at the right time, you know, with the right idea at the very early stages of the App Store where it was enough we did zero marketing. We just put it in the app store and it was enough just that it appeared in the what's new section and then people picked it up from there and then it, you know, appeared in the top hundred and then it kind of climbed that chart. I've seen a lot of friends, you know, more recently try and do the same thing. Maybe not necessarily with a, with a weather app, but with, you know, other good ideas that, that they've sort of spent time and they've gone nowhere. And it's not because, you know, they're not talented. It's not because they've necessarily, you know, picked the wrong idea. It's just because now that's actually really hard to do you know to uh, to launch one app and have that actually go somewhere in the store is insanely hard and especially if you haven't sort of had any other success before because i guess you know once you get known then success tends to breed kind of more success so is shifty jelly the your full-time job now yeah it is so uh, two years after launching pocket weather um we we decided to go full-time so this was in 2010 i think and we were we're both really cautious people so neither of us wanted to leave the security of our full-time job and kind of you know just go and do the indie thing but it it came to a point where we realized we're making as much money outside of our real jobs as we are in our real jobs it was about parity at the time you know we're working 60 or 70 hours a week this this doesn't make sense you've got to you've got to pick one and why not pick the one that you really like and I guess there was a lot of backwards and forwards where like I said we're both sort of fairly risk-averse type people but eventually we just made the decision we're like if we don't do this now there may never be another opportunity to do this again so we just yeah jumped in and that's now our our full-time job ever since so 50 percent of your app portfolio is restricted to just use in one country right pocket weather (laughs) yeah correct what are the benefits or disadvantages of, of this uh i guess the the obvious benefits are that um it's a lot easier to to be well known and to be the number one app i guess because australia is a country of about i think i want to say 23 million people where maybe two or three million actually have you know iphones and and other smartphones and the advantage there is that it's very hard for someone to overseas to understand how unique our actual weather data is like a lot of other companies come here with you know us-based weather and european weather and it really doesn't work in australia you know i don't know if this is some weird sort of lost island or something but the, the weather here is quite unique. So number one, you have to pull it from the local bureau. And then number two, you have to know how to work with those people, uh, you know, to talk to them, to figure out where their data is, to put it all together. So that's, I guess that's a huge advantage. I mean, the the obvious disadvantage is there are only two or three million people to sell to and uh, two or three million people are never going to buy, you know, one app. So that kind of, you probably want to get a tenth or a hundredth, you know, of that again. And that's your total market. You know, once we'd kind of saturated uh, the Australian market with version one of our app, there was no real way to to get more customers you know you can't just do marketing you can't do whatever you basically run out of of people to sell to do you think that the app 
would sell as well if it was worldwide, though. Do you think that your your restrictions allowed you to create a better, more tailored experience? Well, it's funny because we actually ran that experiment. So we used to have an app called Pocket Weather World. And so I think about a year or a year and a half after building Pocket Weather Australia, uh, we saw that it had been successful and we thought, hey, let's do the logical thing. Let's try and emulate this success worldwide. And uh, for a million different reasons, that app you know, went nowhere. The people that downloaded it, you know, by all accounts loved it, but there were only a few thousand people. So we were completely unable to kind of replicate that success. And I, I have no idea if we tried the same thing today now that we're, you know, perhaps slightly better known. Like, would that make any difference at all? I'm not I'm not sure. That's the kind of the most frustrating stuff, right? When you 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 do something, you take a bet on something, and it goes one way or another, but you actually can't pinpoint the reason for it. Yeah, that must I mean, be frustrating what, for you. <laughs> you don't. We don't know. Like, did we? Did we build the wrong app? Did we perhaps commit the same mistake that other people do in Australia? Did we not understand how, you know, American people want their weather and how British people want their weather? Or, you know, was it the wrong time? Did did we just get not get noticed? There's there's a million different factors that play into a successful app. And what some people do is they look back on their success and they say, well. Clearly, we did these 10 things, and that's why we were successful. Or they look back on their failure and they say, well, we screwed up these 10 things. But the truth is you never actually know. There's no way to pin down you know, the success or failure of something on you know, a few points. It's, it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of you know, doing the right thing. But it's also very hard to dissect afterwards and figure out, you know, should we try another World Weather app? Like, was it just wrong at the time? Do we try again? Or does the fact that it failed just mean that you know, that was a bad idea that we should kind of you know never think about again like maybe maybe the problem was you just didn't have any rain cloud icons because you're based in australia so you just didn't consider <laughs> that there was rain so it didn't work like maybe in a country like the uk where we don't ever have sun yeah i've heard yeah. Philip, funny enough philip is actually from london i want to say originally he's right. an australian citizen now but uh, he's still he's still got the accent and it, t- it tells me it's not true he says you do get sun at least three or four times per yeah. year it was sun- it was actually very sunny today and we um i actually worked outside for a bit today so you know it was good wow. and, and i'm told good. that ab- above 30 degrees sort of celsius is a heat wave yeah yeah that's like unbearable <laughs> <laughs> it got to 45 here the other day. That's that's why I say that. The British people can deal with hotter weather, but I just don't think the country can. So, like, <laughs> we have no infrastructure for extreme weather, whether too cold or too hot. And yep. so things just start to go wrong. Like, if we're on holidays, you know, if I was in Australia, I would be able to deal with the heat a little bit more, you know? But Ah, uh, that makes sense, yeah. Put me, you put that sort of heat here, we just can't cope with it. There's no infrastructure for it. It's kind of kind of bad. It's like how you know we have an inch of snow and the country shuts down. Just, <laughs> you know, can't can't deal with it. Um, I meant I asked about sort of the benefits and disadvantages of of having a a specific app which is Australian based in its in its nature. Um, but are there any other benefits or disadvantages for you guys being based in Australia, considering you sell pocket casts to the world? Yeah, so I think the biggest advantage is that we're kind of out of that whole Silicon Valley bubble. And I've been to San Francisco. I love the place. You know, I love the people over there. But I have to say it's quite a different sort of environment. Like there's there's different ideas. There's different sort of work ethics. There's different almost everything. And that that is a very different environment to create applications in. It seems to 
to kind of influence everything that's made. Whereas I think in Australia we kind of have a, you know, a slightly more sort of broader worldview on things. You know, we're we're separated from, you know, everyone kind of at the at the hub of you know Silicon Valley, and uh, different things tend to happen here. So I, I guess we've got the advantage of you know we can fly under the radar, we can try different things. You know, we have sort of different ideas and a, a more worldwide perspective. But the obvious disadvantage is that we don't have all the contacts in the industry that a lot of people do over there. So you often see in Silicon Valley, you know, a lot of people know each other. They'll know people that work at Apple. They'll know people that work at Google. They'll know people in all these different startups. And when they want things to happen, it's a lot easier for them just to, you know, call up a few friends and call in a few favors. And, and suddenly all these things happen. Whereas remotely here from Australia, that's that's a lot harder for us to do. So I guess that's the advantage and disadvantage is we're both, you know, left out of the Silicon Valley thing and we're not in the Silicon Valley thing. Does that make sense? It does. No, because you get the good, like you don't have the bad parts of it, and but you don't have the good parts of it. Yeah. And you're yeah. so far removed from it, you know, on the other side of the planet, like even more so than people that do this stuff in UK and Europe, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's and we have the path. whole time zone issue thing as well. So we're... I think GMT plus 10.30 at the moment, which is, you know, we, we live in the future. So every time we, we try and launch something, it's like, okay, what what time is it in America? Okay, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, okay. In the UK, it's this. It's it's quite complicated. Sometimes we have to launch things at like 11 o'clock at night. Like it here. was through scheduling this show with you that I discovered that there were 30-minute increments in time zones. I just didn't be, know that existed. You'd be surprised how many people don't. I, I believe the original Fitbit didn't even support our time zone. I had to like 30 minutes. I don't think so. I honestly don't think that people consider it. I had never considered it because I've only, I've worked with many different time zones in my life. And especially since I started doing the the podcast stuff, you know, because a lot of the people, a lot of people are based in, in the US, but you know, a bunch of people in Europe and it's all in one hour increments. So it just never considered, like if somebody said to you tomorrow, there are 15 minute increments of time zones, you'd be like, what? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, is that kind of like, like it just never crossed my mind before that that it, that it occurred. I mean, it's when you start thinking about it, it kind of makes sense, right? As, as, it kind of does, except there's the whole argument for how how much do you actually want to break it down? Yeah, none like of you it could makes go to sense, one really, but no. And then you have the whole daylight savings thing. That's impossible. Like different parts of the world, you know, daylight savings, yes or no. And it's sometimes it's actually really hard just to figure out what the time is somewhere else. You know, yep. you'd think we'd have figured that out by 2014, but apparently not. Even with apps that help us, it still can help make me get those days wrong. But it's another story <laughs> for another time. Where do you see um, Shifty Jelly going to in the future? What do you have your eyes set on? That's that's kind of the question that um, we're pondering at the moment. So uh, we've been around, I guess, for about five years now, you know, three years full time. Um, and we, we've kind of got to the point where we've we finally refined our apps, both on Android and, and on iOS, to where we want them to be. You know, there's, there's one more Android release, which we're going to do, I think it's this Monday at, at this stage. But after that, it's it's a real question of what do we do next? Do we... Do we kind of continue working on our successful apps and just expand them? Like, do we bring Pocket Cast to more places? Do we maybe do more in the in the online thing? Do we try and help podcasters, you know, with different tools, or do we just do something, you know, completely new and different? And to be honest with you, I don't actually know. For the first time in in kind of five years since starting this, there's nothing really super obvious to do next. Like, I feel like there's always been you know, low-hanging fruit. There's always been the the really obvious next thing to do. You know, when we finish something, we're like, okay, well, logically, this is 
the next thing we should do because we've been waiting to do this for years. And then and this is the next thing to do and this is the next thing to do. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to be at the point where we kind of have to pick the next thing to do. And that's that's never really been the case. It's always been you know, an insane amount of things that we have to do and just not enough time to do them. And now we're finally at the point where we've done all those things. And it's like, okay, well, what should we do next? And yeah, I really don't know the answer to that. So you mentioned Pocket Casts, and that's what I want to talk to you about next. But just before we do that, I want to take a quick moment to thank our first sponsor for this week's episode, and that is the fine folks over at Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO3. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform. They do this with new features, new designs, and making sure that their support is even better all the time. They have beautiful templates that you can get started with and tons of style options for you to adjust and tweak so you can really create and craft your own space on the internet. Everything on Squarespace's platform is drag and drop, so it's really easy to add content from your desktop and even easier to rearrange elements of content within your page because it's all drag and drop, you see how it's going to look and you can sort of before you publish anything, you're building in the web browser, seeing exactly how your site's going to look to the public. Squarespace makes sure that every site that you create with them is going to look fantastic on any device, because every single Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design too. You can easily connect your favorite web and social services like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and many, many more. So you can pull content into them. Like, for example, you can have an Instagram gallery of all of your recent images, or you can post content out. So if you can, if you have a blog you, on Squarespace, you can automatically tweet directly from Squarespace. It's very simple. Everything about Squarespace is easy to use, but if you need any help, there are over 70 dedicated employees in the customer care team who are based in New York City. They're available for live chat during the week and have super fast email support throughout the day and night. All throughout this month, I've been talking about how Squarespace have some opportunities at the moment for uh, engineers and designers. They're looking to hire 30 people by March 15th, so you really don't have much time at all now. You have a couple more days. If you're interested in going to work for Squarespace, go to beapartofit.squarespace.com. Every successful candidate will get invited to New York, and this will be paid for, all by Squarespace. They'll put you up in a nice hotel, and they'll show you some of the sites so you can see, if you're lucky enough to get a job with them, the type of life that you'll be living in New York City. Now, as I said earlier, you can try out Squarespace for free. There's no credit card required to do this. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. And every Squarespace account now also features their e-commerce platform, Squarespace Commerce. If you want to set up a shop and sell some stuff, you can do that in just a few minutes. This is included in every Squarespace plan. Make sure that you get 10% off and support this show by using the offer code TALLYHO3. That's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O and the number 3. Thank you so much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Command Space. So, Russell, why did you want to develop a podcast app? Uh, I guess the simplest answer to that question is because we love listening to podcasts. So, when we first came up with the idea of Pocket Cast, the only way to get podcast onto your iPhone was to download them in iTunes, plug a cable in, you know, try and sync those things. And then if you ever ended up in a situation where you're sitting in your car and a, a podcast comes out, then, you know, you kind of have to open the web browser and you're going to pinch to zoom little tiny links on people's websites. And it, it's just a pain. And we both, you know, enjoy podcasts so much that we thought there must be a better way to 
to actually manage this on the phone. And that's that's where the original idea came from, and that's that's why we built the app. When did 1.0 ship? Uh, that is a good question. I want to say probably around end of 2010 would be when 1.0 shipped. And the, the climate that it shipped in was Apple was actually actively rejecting podcasting apps. So there'd been one called, I want to say podcast or podcaster or something like that, that had been rejected by Apple for well over a year. And um, they'd finally let that guy back into the store. And this was, you know, literally only, I don't know, probably as we were building Pocket Cast, you know, that happened. And and that's, that's you know, how we kind of got some confidence to build 1.0. It's also why we uh, made 1.0, you know, insanely quickly and kept all the features out of it. Because with the whole time we were just terrified that we were going to submit this to Apple and they were just going to say, no, you know, thanks for coming. So the original 1.0 was quite stripped back then. Yeah. I mean, it was it was... A good app in some ways and a, a terrible app in a lot of other ways, but it was <laughs> it was us just trying to test the waters and so seeing, hey, is Apple actually going to, you know, okay this? So obviously it was just iPhone originally. Um, when did you ship the first Android version of Pocket Cast? Uh, so the first, does Phil remember this? When did the first version of Android Pocket Cast ship? <laughs> I'm very good with all these dates. Um, I, <laughs> I want to say it was about a year later. So what had happened is we'd had um, almost no success whatsoever on the iPhone. And uh, some people kept suggesting, you know, why, why don't you bring it to Android? You know, the, our, our podcasting solutions here are even more terrible. You know, there was, at the time there was this thing called... Um, Dogcatcher, uh, maybe? No, no, before Dogcatcher, there was a Google wow. something. There was oh. a Google podcasting app and it was absolutely... Google Listen? Ter- Google Listen, that's the one. And no offense to whoever wrote that application. I suspect it was an intern that was there, you know, for a few months and that was kind of his or her side project, but it was terrible. You know, it was almost unusable. Yes. And it, people kept begging us. Sorry, you've used this up? Yeah, I have used it. Um, I don't know if they still make it, but the last time that I used it, which was not very long ago, it was still terrible. <laughs> the, the, the search was incomprehensible. Like, you'd sometimes <laughs> find podcasts, you'd sometimes find episodes, you'd sometimes find... Other things, I don't know, and they kind of bolted it onto Google Reader, so it was kind of like a special folder inside your Google Reader folder. Anyway, yeah. it was yeah, it was terrible, and so uh, we decided to try it. You know, we we brought Pocket Cast to Android, and we made the fatal mistake that I think almost every iOS developer does, and we just tried to port the whole thing. We basically kept the look and feel, we kept all the buttons, we kept all the you know user interface decisions that we made, and we brought that to Android, and that also failed. So that was zero from for two. <laughs> For us, <laughs> <laughs> why did you continue? Because we're insane. No, um, I think we really believed in the product. You know, it's it's always that question of when do you give up and when do you continue. And I think when when the World Weather app I, I mentioned failed, we didn't really believe in that so much. It was more like we built it, you know, because we could, because we already had all the the things that we needed for, it and it wasn't that much effort. But this app we really believed in, and so we thought uh, we could do something else, but. No, let's actually give it another go. So let's give both the iOS and the Android app a complete workover. And that's where version 3 came out of the... I think we might have skipped 2 or 2 was kind of very briefly, you know, in the picture. But uh, we decided with version 3 we'd rewrite both apps and just try again. And version 3 on iOS, while I think it was a good app, was also a complete failure. So 0 from 3. But version 3 on Android... um, was an insane success. You know, it just exploded. People finally, you know, saw that this was an easy way to to get 
podcasts on all their various Android devices and it just shot off like a rocket basically. Like it was, you know, pretty much the most successful app that we've ever had, like, you know, period. Before we go forward, I want to go back a little bit. How did you come to discover podcasts as a medium? So I I bought myself an iPod mini. Is that what the round kind of aluminium ones were called? Yeah, they were minis, yeah. Yeah, so that was my very first Apple product as well. You know, I'd I'd seen the iPod. The iPod came out, you know, when, when I was at a conference in Sydney. It was the whole, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. But I think at the time it was it was insanely expensive and it would only sync with the Mac and I didn't have a Mac. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to pay, you know, however many hundreds of dollars for this thing. But eventually down the track, this iPod mini thing came out and it was you know, really super sexy. I had the green one and, and I, I got my songs on there. And I thought, this is cool. You know, I don't, I don't have to listen to radio anymore. I was a bit of a radio fan, but the, the amount of ads in there, the amount of content that you didn't want to listen to was just, you know, the ratio was all wrong. And, you know, I started listening to music and then I ran out of music and then I noticed there was a little button in, in iTunes and it was called podcast. And I'm like, oh, you know, what is this? And that's that's where I first discovered things like the Twit Network. You know, I think they were up to maybe Twit episode 15 or something. It was in the very early days of that. Yeah. You know, I discovered shows like MacBreak Weekly that they kind of did on there as well. And it all started with the Twit Network, really. You know, that's the only sort of network that I'd ever heard of. And I kind of got really into it. You know, these these weekly shows would come out and I'd get really excited about, you know, syncing them to my, my little iPod mini and then playing them in the car. And and that just expanded. You know, he'd, Leo would have a guest from other shows, you know, on his show. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, there's this other network. There's this CNET thing. And eventually, you know, there's this 5 by 5 thing. And eventually that just exploded into you know, discovering every podcast known to man, including one I found recently, by the way. You you do my secret second favorite Squarespace read, but if you want to hear the best Squarespace read in the world, you have to listen to the Ice T podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, he does the, the funniest Squarespace read I have ever heard in my life. I'm familiar that he has a show, but I've not yet listened. <laughs> yes, it's very unique. But to, just to hear him read the ads, I think, is I'd probably want the show, like leave the content of the show out and just have him reading the ads and I'd listen to that my, you know, on a week. Yeah, my brother, who's a massive wrestling fan, um, has been forever. Uh, he sent me a message the other day to tell me that Stone Cold was reading an ad for Squarespace and it blew his <laughs> mind because he knows that I do it too. That's <laughs> uh, awesome. But yeah, I, I guess that's how I got into it and it's kind of... I've uh, been a passion ever since. So now, you know, I've got a half an hour commute, sometimes more in and out of work, you know, listen to them at work. I'm just, I'm obsessed by all things podcasts. Where do your um, listening habits fall now? Like, what are you still listening to the same shows that you listen to? Have you dropped some, gained some? Like, what's, what type of shows do you listen to and where do they come from? No, it's changed quite a bit. So originally, like I said, it was all Twit. So as you know, This Week in Tech, it was you know MacBreak Weekly, it was all those shows that, that Leo did. Um, eventually, I don't know if I grew out of those shows or those shows changed or what, but I eventually sort of kind of went away from a lot of the you know two and three hour shows that those guys were doing. And I think some of my favorite shows now kind of span a, a wide range of things. It's obviously tech news. And I'd highly recommend the, the Daily Tech News Show by Tom Merritt. I don't know if you've heard that one. Yeah, yeah, I love Tom, just like I love you, Mike. But um, you. the prompt is actually, I kid you not, and not just because I'm on your podcast, but the prompt is actually one of my favorite podcasts now. And I think it's just the mix of personalities that you've got on there. You know, you've got yourself, you've got Stephen, you've got Federico, and it, something about it just works insanely well. You know, every Thursday sort of afternoon or is it morning, currently, when that comes out on my on my phone and I get a little push notification, I get very excited because I know when I get back in the car, like that'll be the 
the first podcast I listened to. Um, Thinking some of the non- actually, I that show is published time wise, definitely for the Australian audience. Yeah, it, it hits Thursday afternoon. Pretty yeah. much before I, so it's it's already auto downloaded. It's it's all ready to go. Like when I actually hop in the car, it's awesome. You should never change that. I'm sure people ask you to, but don't. I do have it. no intention of doing that. <laughs> so just looking through my list, some of the not really left field ones, but less tech is um, this American Life. I don't know if you've ever listened to that. Yeah, I have. Yeah. With Mr. Ira Glass, it's. I know it sounds like an American podcast, but it's not. It's just you know human interest stories. I don't know what there is about that, but you know there's it's something just about extremely that. Extremely well edited. I think yeah, it's well like, edited, and yeah. the you know the the entire show is just full of like interesting things. Things like the moth, you know, where people get up to a microphone and just talk about different life experiences they had. I find that quite interesting. Um, yeah, so it's a mixture of I guess tech and just general podcasts, probably skewing quite heavily to the tech side of things. And that's kind of where my interests lie at the moment. It's probably, I mean, looking through this list, there's at least, you know, 33 podcasts and they span everything. So it's not one network anymore. It's not, you know, one particular set of hosts. It's just, you know, everyone and, and anyone. And I guess that's the fun of making a podcast app is that every week or two we look for a new podcast to feature. And as part of that process, you discover the most amazing podcasts. You know, everything from crazy ones. There's <laughs> there's a there's a Russian guy who... Um, who molds balloons and you know the you blow up a balloon and then you make different animals so the the entire podcast is like him making balloons and just saying um the word bubble and then you make a bubble and you get another bubble and you make another bubble and you you discover awesome podcasts like this is this an audio show this is an audio show okay. <laughs> i think you might do a video as well but i hope so just, it's amazing i don't remember what it's called i have to dig it up but you just discover podcasts like that all the time. It's it's quite interesting. Over the development of of Pocket Casts, um, maybe from version three onwards, if that that definitely was where you guys hit your stride. What were you doing, or what do you do with the development of the app to try and make something that's different? Like, what considerations do you make? Yeah, I guess Pocket Casts is is unique in our kind of app portfolio with pocket whether we try and make an app that based on all the feedback we get and you know everything that we kind of take in and we we, we try and go backwards and forwards with all our customers and figure out what they actually want and try and present that in the best way but pocket cast is one of these apps that we really 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 just build for ourselves so the primary consideration is is what do i want and then the the next primary consideration is what does philip want and then secondary to that is what do the other people in the office want. And then after that, you know, we take all the customer feedback. But if I'm being really honest, it's just what do we want in a podcasting app? You know, what is the best experience for for the way that we listen to podcasts? And I, I guess as part of that, you know, we're not insanely sort of arrogant people. We recognize that, you know, other people have really awesome opinions about how to do this as well. But we kind of focus on the way we use the app. And we figure that podcasting is so so broad and so kind of tech skewed that you're never going to be able to please everyone. So why don't we start by kind of pleasing ourselves, as weird as that sounds, and then, you know, kind of ramp it up from there based on the feedback that we get. So we don't set out to try and be different or do things like to differentiate ourselves or any of those sort of words. We just, what experience do we want and how do we build that is kind of our main focus. And what do you think that Pocket Cast does that's better than your competition? Uh, I think there's a few things. So the the server side syncing is probably the biggest thing that that none of our competitors do at the moment. Is the fact that you can open the app 
and it's just instantly refreshed. You know, within a second or two, every new episode is is already downloaded into your your phone. You know, you don't have to go off and parse RSS and XML feeds. You don't have to sort of sit there and and let it refresh. So there's there's that side of it. The the instantaneousness, I guess, if that's the word of it. Um, and apart from that, I guess, I mean, the, there are a lot of good competing apps, let's be honest. But I I like to think, you know, without blowing our own horn, that we have the the best mix of kind of advanced functionality with a simple inter- user interface. So there are other apps that have uh, more features than us and that they are insanely popular as well. But I, I find some of those apps are just a bit overwhelming. You know, you open them and there's just buttons everywhere and everything that can be a setting for there's a setting for and then there's the opposite end of the spectrum i think there's some apps that are actually simpler than ours so they they have really simple user interfaces and they kind of present the most basic podcasting experience you know you can get and they do that really well but i'd like to think and maybe i'm a bit biased that we kind of ride that that middle line you know as much as we can we're trying to keep the app super simple but at the same time trying to present enough advanced functionality that it's you know, it doesn't become annoying to use in the in the long run. You mentioned the the syncing, the server side syncing. Um, obviously, with that, you have to make some considerations, right? So, there isn't it, it, with the way that you guys do it, and you have to correct me if I'm wrong. I'll probably talk about it in a much more uh, smart way. But you guys refresh the feeds on your end, and then people go in to the app and and they're just syncing with your server instead which is i believe is kind of like how google google reader was was used to work as well like you wouldn't be automatically polling every feed you'd be polling google's cached version of it um how does that that work and what is the typical delay between an episode being published and it showing in pocket casts yeah so, so the way that that works is we have these um these podcast parsing nodes that we call them. And they're not, I guess they're our servers, but they're more just little processes that kind of go off and, and just look at all the, the feeds that we have. So I think at the moment we're up to about 180,000 podcast feeds or something insane like that that are registered in our system. And, you know, th- those are all in various states. So some of them have been abandoned. Some of them are, you know, updated really regularly. Some of them are only updated once a month. So we try and form this this hierarchy based on, you know, popularity and has it been updated and, you know, what kind of service does it run on. And these nodes are just constantly sort of out there basically scraping every single podcast feed that we know about. And for the really popular ones, like, for example, for some of your shows, they probably get hit, you know, every 30 seconds to a minute just saying, hey, is anything new? Hey, has anything changed since the last time I was here? And so the delay, it it tends to vary. It really depends on how popular your podcast is, how well your web server is written. You know, does it respond to things like, you know, when was something last modified? Does it have these things called, you know, e-tags that have all these other things that we look for? And if if you kind of host your XML feed on a a half-decent server, then the refresh time tends to be pretty good. You know, it's probably five minutes is about, you know, average 10 minutes is probably starting to get a bit up there. I mean, sometimes things do go wrong. You know, we haven't built the perfect system and sometimes it could take an hour, you know, to get your favorite episode. But that's that's really unusual. You know, if that happens and, and something's gone wrong at our end that, that we kind of need to address. So I'd, I'd say up to five or 10 minutes. And that is a compromise. You know, in, in another app, the very second something comes out, you can, you know, go and refresh that feed and you'll have it. You know, that's guaranteed. In our app, that might take five minutes and, a very small amount of people, I guess, are not going to like that. You know, that they want it instant. But we feel that that's um, 
that's a really good compromise. You know, instead of downloading many, many megabytes of, of XML and trying to go through that, the compromise there is our server does all that. You know, it crunches, I don't know how many gigabytes per day. I think it probably hits easily, you know, 120 to 130,000 feeds, you know, every hour. I don't know what that works out to per minute, but it's a lot. And so it, it does all that. And then your phone just pings our server and says, hey, you know, I listen to these 36 podcasts. What's new? As the... It, on iOS, and I guess this is the same on Android, actually. It's been like this for longer. Has the background downloading um, APIs and, and processes changed the way that you can that you think about this at all? Because people don't have to open an app and sync at all anymore. Yeah, so not not really, to be honest, because we've always had that ability um, when it came to Android. So yeah. on Android, basically... You know, with the user's consent, your app can wake up whenever it wants and download like as as much as it wants over whatever network it wants. So there's a lot less restrictions. So when it came time to build the Android app, we thought about that. We thought, you know, running a, a server infrastructure like we do is actually not that easy. You know, sometimes it keeps us up at night and it costs a you know fair amount of money per month to kind of keep that all ticking along. So when we built the Android version, we thought, are there any benefits to just going, you know, and just parsing it on the phone itself and forgetting about the whole a sort of server side of things. But in the end, we decided to keep that infrastructure, I guess, because it has, you know, so many hidden benefits for, for both us and our users. And there's, there's things down the track, like later on in version four of both our apps, we implemented syncing. So the idea there is um, you can have your, you know, your iPhone sync to your Nexus 7 tablet or whatever, and all your episodes can be in exactly the same states. And that's it becomes an insanely hard thing to do if you don't have that server infrastructure like if you don't know about all the podcasts and the episodes is how, how do you keep those things in sync so and some of the places we kind of want to go in the future that makes a lot of sense for as well like you imagine if there was a desktop app or there was some kind of online client or there was all these different things that we kind of have thought about and prototype that it becomes a lot easier when you have that sort of back-end server infrastructure in place so even with the modern sort of ios apis it's probably it hasn't really changed our mind as to, to how we build these. And at the end of the day, it's it's a data use issue as well. You can, If your phone is constantly downloading sort of XML feeds, that could easily be, you know, 10 or 20 megabytes every day that's kind of churning through. And for some people, maybe that's that doesn't matter. But to us, that's still a big thing, especially in Australia with, you know, a really low sort of data caps that we have. Now, you, you mentioned, obviously, that, and especially now, I think, um, at least from, from what I can see, Pocket Cast is is and has been very successful. Um, have you noticed any trends in in how the app has sold that suggest anything about the podcasting industry at large? Like, have you seen any peaks in in sort of download numbers or anything that could maybe suggest uh, any changes in the way of how many people are listening to podcasts, or has it been consistent for you that you've been able to see if you've ever looked at that? Yeah, we do. We do kind of look at these things from time to time because, like I said, we we are into podcasts ourselves, so we're quite interested in you know what do people listen to. Um, I, I guess the biggest change recently is that um, I'm sure, as you know, podcasts have always skewed quite uh, technical, and I mean there are a lot of reasons for that. But the most popular podcasts are still, you know, to this day, tech-based podcasts. And uh, what what I see more recently that I haven't seen in the past is when a new podcast comes along. It seems to take off a lot quicker these days. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it used to be that someone would release a brand new show and it would seem like it would take many, many, many months before they got you know, a decent amount of listeners on board. But I've seen shows launch recently that 
you know, within their first week have five or 6,000 sort of subscribers just in our app alone. You know, I can only imagine what that means for the rest of the ecosystem. So it seems like these days when you launch a new podcast, you seem to get a lot more attention, you know, a lot more quickly. And to me, I don't know, but I kind of extrapolate that out to be that the amount of people actually consuming podcasts has probably grown quite a bit, you know, the last six months to a year. I don't know if you, you find that as well with your shows. I don't know what to attribute it to myself. Um, I have definitely seen that. Like, I can take a show like we we recently, me and Federico Vitici recently launched a new gaming show on 5x5 called Directional. Um, and I was able, like, the first two episodes of that show is at download numbers that it had previously taken me like three years to get to. You know, like for consistent listener numbers. But I can't equate that to whether there's a, li- a, a larger... Um, amount of people listening or if there are there are so many other factors that for me personally it could be so you know originally my shows weren't on five by five and originally i didn't have any audiences at all so it's difficult for me to to be able to gauge that but i think that there is definitely because i see people you know like i i i speak to a lot of um beginning podcasters uh quite frequently it's something that i like to do i like to to offer my worldly wisdom wherever I can. <laughs> and uh, it seems that, you know, from the the numbers that they, they get after a short period of time do seem higher than the numbers that I got and they would come from a very similar position. I think that, I think it's twofold. I think that not only are the numbers increasing, the people that are interested in technology and, you know, read the, the like the Daring Fireball, Marco, etc. type blogs those people are themselves getting more and more interested in it. So it's raising the profile of podcasting even within the subset of people that it was always marketed to. So you see, I feel like you're seeing more and more people have shows and start shows and have their own new projects and stuff like that. And I think it's just raising the opinion of podcasting even within the people that already knew about it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree, and I, I feel like podcasting, I guess, similar to radio, is it's a lot about personalities as well. So a, a show has to have interesting content, yes, but it's it's a lot about the presenters as well. Like obviously, people, you know, people who follow John Gruber, you know, they they love Daring Fireball, and people who, you know, go on the Twit Network, they're like, oh, Leo, you know, Leo Laporte, they've got that kind of big personalities, and you've got yourself and and Dan, and every. Every kind of thing seems to be that if someone already has a, a following, like I guess Marco, for example, and he starts a podcast, then there's already or automatically some pool there from his personality and all the different you know followers that he has that you know kind of come into that area. But I, I wonder also if the the people that are into podcasting are actually listening to more podcasts these days as well. Like I don't have any actual numbers on that. There's there's no secret formula that I can kind of look up on our server or anything, but. It, it does seem like people are consuming more podcasts as well and maybe even more varied podcasts. Like it's the barrier to, you know, subscribing to a podcast and trying it out is, is pretty minimal. And it, in some ways I wonder if the podcasting is going through a much slower kind of app store process, if that makes any sense at all. I like hope so. When, when the app store first launched, like apps were quite a novel thing and not many people had apps on their phones and not many people had even smartphones, but these days that's very mainstream. And I don't think podcasting is ever going to grow as explosively as, I guess, smartphones in the App Store did, but it does seem like a very slow version of that. Like you have people like yourself that have done it for a while and 
And when you start a new show, just like when we create a new app, you tend to get a lot more attention than, you know, someone who just jumps in. And I wonder if there will come a time when, you know, podcasting is so popular that when, you know, Joe Bloggs comes to start his new podcast that it's really hard for him to to get any attention at all. Like, I don't think we're there yet, but it seems to slowly be heading that way. So you mentioned that the app is uh, cross-platform. It's on iOS and Android. Um, how hard do you work to keep feature parity between the iOS and Android versions? Is it important to you that the, that there is a consistent experience, not from a design perspective, because I'm going to talk to you about that separately in a moment, but from the actual features that the app has, do you try and keep them consistent? Like, would you let one version of the application be more advanced than another because it's taken advantage of something the platform has? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely would. And um, it's it's important for us to keep them reasonably similar. In fact, in our latest Android uh, version, we're kind of bringing a lot of things on board that we, we've done in the iOS one that we've kind of refined over time. But the way we tend to approach it is when we do a new version of one of our apps, be it on Android or iOS, we just try out some new things and we, we see what people like, we see what people don't like, we see what works really well and we kind of uh, refine that. And then when it's kind of fully refined and we're happy with it, that's when we bring it to the other platform. And we don't tend to favor, you know, one over the other. It's just whatever one happens to be the one that we're mainly working on, that's where we try all these new things. So it, in Android is where we first, you know, tried some of the, the smart playlist stuff and some of the, um, you know, filtering and things that we were doing. Then, And we when we brought those to iOS, we didn't actually clone the Android functionality. We changed that again based on all the feedback that we have. And now what we're doing is we're kind of in the process of bringing those changes back to Android now as well. So it's kind of a, a one version gets ahead of the other one. We see what works and then we kind of bring that to the other one. And then now that one's ahead and it's kind of that constant sort of back and forth. Since version four uh, was released, how do sales compare now? Like you obviously, I'm not asking for numbers, but the Android app was, you, you mentioned was way ahead. Is that, has that changed at all? Does the Android app continue to be more successful than the iOS app or has the iOS app caught up or overtaken? Yeah, so if you look at it historically, like I said, version 3 of the iOS app was not a huge success. I had, had decent numbers, but not any sort of numbers that would even pay for the you know the amount of development that we put into it. But with version 4 of both apps, they've actually both become a lot more successful. But I think the original figures were... Uh, the Android app used to sell about 10 times higher than the iOS one. So for every you know one download that we get on iOS, we get 10 on Android. And these days it's two to one. So Android is still you know twice as many downloads as the iPhone. But the difference is there that you know the only thing that changed was that the iPhone sales improved. So now that it's a a two to one thing versus a one to ten thing is not because you know one became less popular. It's just because the other one became uh, more popular. And we kind of I guess we really have Apple to thank for that. And iOS 7, that kind of gave us a fresh chance to actually relaunch version 4 on iOS. You know, we were kind of looking back on it, that was the, the perfect moment to, you know, to rethink everything that we'd done on iOS before and just present, you know, a brand new version. And all our competitors had to do the same thing. And that, that kind of gave us a real leg up that, you know, without iOS 7 kind of changing everything, we probably wouldn't have had to be kind of realistic about it. So I want to take a, Another quick break to uh, thank our second sponsor for this week's episode, and that is New Relic. 
If you've got a web or mobile application, you need to know about New Relic. New Relic is a developer's best friend because it's easy to use analytics dashboard that gives developers powerful code level visibility into real-time performance of their applications. What this means is that you can spot bugs, see bottlenecks, and fix problems fast before they ever affect your users. Thanks to New Relic, you no longer need to ship an app to production and then helplessly wait around, hoping for the best until negative app reviews and tweets start to pour in. New Relic empowers software engineers by showing them what's wrong and what isn't all in real time. The way it works is really straightforward. New Relic gives developers a lightweight agent that you unpackage into your production-level apps. The agent sits quietly and securely in the background, gathering real-time metrics across geographies, devices, platforms, all the way down to end-user level, and then displays all that data in real-time graphs so that coders have total visibility into the performance of their web and mobile applications. So, I want you to go and check out New Relic by visiting the following URL. Go to newrelic.com slash command space. It's all spelled out, so that's newrelic.com slash C-O-M-M-A-N-D-S-P-A-C-E. This is where you're going to be able to learn more and use the offer code CMD, and then the plus sign, S-P-A-C-E, so the name of the show, to take advantage of a special 30-day extended free pro trial, which is available exclusively to listeners of Command Space. So, Build better performing apps, get deeper insights, spot bottlenecks quickly, and improve performance with New Relic. Thank you so much to New Relic for supporting the show. So version 4 of Pocket Casts was a huge departure from version 3, and this is especially in design. Where did the thinking for the refreshed design of version 4 come from? I, I guess where it started is um, we actually started version 4 before iOS 7 was even announced. And when we started, there was not even any rumors that, that you know, Apple was going to do a drastic overhaul. So we'd, we'd just by coincidence started sort of pairing back our interface. But we ran into a lot of problems. So, you know, our designer, you know, Matt kind of struggled with the concept of how do you redefine an app like it again? You know, should we do things this way or this way? And we played with... An insane amount of, of things. And then for the first time ever, you know, one of us, so that was myself, headed over to WWDC and I was sitting in that iOS 7 keynote when they, you know, they demoed the video and they showed it off. And then, you know, I got to install the developer build, you know, a few hours later and I was just blown away by how different it was. And I immediately, you know, sort of texted back to the office and I'm like, well, now we've got our direction. Like this is, this is where it starts. So I guess the the initial direction came from Apple themselves and, that you know, the apps that they'd shipped as part of, you know, iOS 7.0, you know, beta 1 and the things they'd showed off in that video and all the the different documentation and things that they provided. You know, that's not really a design in and of itself, but that was kind of a starting point for us to kind of, you know, begin with. the You know, the, the whole thing where the content is, is the most important part and all the user interface layers, which kind of version three of our app was very heavy with like, you know there's a lot of chrome there's a lot of sort of stylization there was a lot of you know real world elements you know in there and we kind of that was the direction we went with you know we've got to strip all this stuff back and just focus on the podcast themselves now version four was out on android sig- quite significantly earlier right than on ios yeah i think it was september the year before why was that um that, that was a timing thing so we we kind of we were working on both version fours at exactly the same time, and this was probably June of the the year before. So this is this is the, a year before iOS seven. We're working on version four on iOS. You know, I'm coding that, 
um, Philips coding the, the version four of Android. And we realized that it was insanely inefficient. You know, originally our idea was we can do both of these at the same time, you know, two developers working in two code bases, easy. But we ended up having so much backwards and forwards on the app that, you know, I'd I'd implement something that we felt was better than Philip would have to put that into the Android app. Philip would come up with something in the Android app and I'd be like, oh, you know, I should put that in the in the, in the iOS app. And we'd also run into the same sort of problems. So I'd run into a problem and I'd spend a day or two, you know, trying to solve that problem. And then a week later, Phil would run into exactly the same problem and he'd solve it a different way. And, and you know, one way was better than the other way. You know, that, that would vary, you know, depending on who'd had the most coffee that day or whatever. But we realized it was insane. We couldn't keep doing that. You know, we'd, we'd be here till 2016 trying to build a version four of both apps. So we, we abandoned that idea and um, we thought, no, let's just shelve the iOS one because, I mean, at that point, the iOS one hadn't been that successful anyway. The Android version had. And we thought, let's do something different. You know, perhaps we can uh, get a lot of attention by saying, hey, version four is going Android first. You know, at the time, there was a lot of articles, you know, from people saying no one's ever going to develop an, an Android app first. It's always iOS. And then, <laughs> you know, Android is the poor cousin later on. And we thought, let's try and flip that on its head. Like there are a lot of very passionate people with Android phones. And I'm sure a lot of these people are very sick of their platform kind of always being treated like, you know, it, it kind of gets the leftover crumbs from, you know, its bigger brother kind of iOS. And so Philip and I both started working on the Android version together. So we basically worked on that you know, full time, I think till about September of that year. So it was a solid three or four months of just, you know, Matt, Matt, our designer doing all the design, us two kind of working on the code. And we were doing that basically full time. And we always had the idea at the back of our mind that there's, there's perhaps more of a story to that as well. You know, here's some developers that have gone Android first and, and it kind of played both ways. We also thought to the user base, we could say to these guys, Hey, look, you know, all the, all these other developers are ignoring you, but honestly we aren't like, we think Android is a, is a viable platform. We always have, you know, we kind of de- defend it when, when people deride it, you know, much to to people's amusement, I guess, sometimes. But it was kind of that two-pronged thing. We thought, hey, this is a great news story on one side, but at the same time, it is actually a great for all our Android users as well. We say to those guys, you know, we, we re- really respect you. You know, here's the Android app first, which I think is something to this day and uh, not a lot of companies have done in it. It was an insanely successful thing to do as well. It kind of, I think overnight it doubled or or tripled our sales of the app that was already doing, you know, reasonably well. You were showing respect, I think, to where your audience was rather than trying to find one that you weren't sure you were going to get. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's a nice way to put it. And the other part of it is it's actually a lot nicer developing for iOS. You know, Android development is not as bad as people make it out to be, but it's, it's not as nice as iOS development. You know, a lot of the user interface stuff is a lot harder. A lot of the low-end stuff is, is slightly less sort of well thought out. And it's it's not easy developing the Android app, but you know you, there's no reason you can't put that effort in, and that's that's what we kind of figured. It's like some developers are all about you know we only develop for iOS because it's super nice to develop for, but I guess we were more about hey our user base seems to to be moving over to Android. Why don't why don't we move with them? You know and kind of provide them with with the apps that they want. It was kind of interesting. Um for me to see that the design that you had on Android was quite similar to how version 4 on iOS looked as well. Um, was this helpful for you guys when it came to actually designing the, the iPhone version that there, there seemed to be some similarities in the way that the design styles moved? Yeah, it, it, it was helpful in some ways, especially because we kind of got to play with a lot of features and hierarchy that we hadn't had before. So the whole concept of having 
you know, very base menu with your podcasts and your different sort of lists off to the side and then, you know, having the discover section in a, in a different section. And the the hierarchy of the app in some ways, I guess, was kind of informed by the Android version. And we, we got to play with it there first. And sometimes, sometimes you can do all the design in the world, but until you've actually uh, built it and installed it into your phone and started tapping around, like some things are not very obvious. Like you, you design something that feels like it should work and then you implement it and you're like, hmm, something, something about this just just a little bit off. Or, you know, the other way around, you, you implement it and you're like, oh, wouldn't it be better if when I did this, you know, this happened or this needs to be accessible from here or, you know, I'm playing a podcast but I can't get to this other thing that I really need to, to get to. So a lot of that stuff that we figured out in the Android version was, was very helpful when we came to, to build the iOS one because it had already been tested by the users of the platform as well. You know, it had been from from September to July at that point, so a good, you know, kind of nine months of, of user feedback and refinement that we'd already managed to do before we had kind of started building the iOS one in earnest. Do you think that maybe the success that you've had um, on iOS came because you were there on day one of iOS 7 with a, a radical new look and rethinking where maybe some other apps at the time were just flattening things? Uh, definitely, yeah. And uh, we, it was hard for us to predict that because obviously we didn't know what any of our competition was doing. We didn't know what any of the other developers out there were going to do with iOS 7. <laughs> and I remember Matt, our designer, used to constantly be frustrated by that. He's like, am I, you know, am I going in the right direction? What are other people going to do? You know, we had no idea. Everything was under NDA and very few people were, were sharing their designs as well. But I think a lot of the initial success was the fact that it just – you know, it felt native to, to iOS 7. You know, at least a lot of people seem to think so, that it, it kind of looked, the, you know, the way iOS 7 was meant to look, that most of it functioned, you know, the way iOS 7 was meant to function. And it was, we had completely thrown out, you know, version 3. You know, I'd literally play, pressed, you know, file a new project and started again. So we were working against all the, the brand new iOS 7 APIs as well. You know, there was no legacy stuff in there whatsoever. And I, I think part of that was... You know, the success came from there. And I think part of it was that uh, we'd been popular on Android, funnily enough, and that more people had been aware of, you know, who the heck we were. You know, we'd, we'd grabbed the attention of, you know, some of the, the bloggers and different people that write for the media. And those people were a lot more likely to uh, to listen to us, you know, when we emailed them and said, hey, you know, we're working on this brand new iOS 7 version. Do you want to check it out? There seems to be an increase in competition for podcast apps. Um I'm seeing new ones appear a lot now. Do you have any idea where against competition you guys fare? <laughs> it's it's funny. I really, as a user, I really enjoy new podcasting apps coming out. Like I like to play with them. I like to see what people have done. Um, I think the downside, though, of us kind of being one of the, the bigger players is that a lot of these new apps that are coming out, their selling point is that they're super simple. And... We we started with that you know concept originally. In fact, there's an app that came out recently, Castro, I think it was called. Yeah. And the way that app is laid out, not obviously not the way it looks, but the way it's laid out is very very similar to you know version one and version two of of Pocket Cast, even down to the the podcast and episode toggle thing at the top. And I'm not saying that because they copied us. I, I don't think they would have ever seen those versions of Pocket Cast. But more that a lot of the ideas these guys are having are ideas that we've had originally. And we've kind of you know refined those ideas and changed them over time. But the benefit that they have is they can come into the market and they can say, 
here's something super simple, you know, way simpler than, than pocket casts and, you know, so much easier to understand and not many features and nothing to get sort of tripped over by. Whereas we can't really do that. You know, once you have a customer base and once you're supporting all of them, once they come to love all the different features that you have, it's it's never easy to try and pair that stuff back. But I mean, the flip side of that is I see a lot of those apps, you know, they'll launch and people are like, oh, I love this app. It's it's so awesome, so simple. And then they'll request, you know, every single feature that they have in, you know, Downcast or Pocketcast or Instacast or whatever podcasting app they use. And it's it's interesting to see what those guys do with that then. Do they keep their app simple or do they start slowly adding those features in? And I guess that's always the hard part of making a podcast app is it skews geek and geeks tend to want a lot of features and they can conceptualize a lot of features and it's, you know, it's hard. And I don't know, you know, there's more, you know, Marco's working on Overcast. I'm sure there's, you know, five or six other people also making podcasting apps. For some reason, that seems to be uh, kind of not the flavor of the month, but where people are currently heading. And I, I suspect a lot of that on iOS is the fact that Apple finally gave us background downloading. So the the biggest hurdle to building a podcast app was always how do you auto-download people's podcasts if the iOS doesn't give you a way to to actually do that. Whereas in iOS 7, Apple's Apple gave us all that infrastructure. And they even said in some of their presentations, they kept saying, you know, this would be perfect for building, you know, for example, a podcasting app. And I have a feeling that was the genesis of a lot of these podcasting apps is that developers heard Apple saying those things. They saw the new APIs and they thought, wow, you know, we should get on board with this. How do you view competition? Because like podcasts themselves, like the between podcast to podcast that hosts and, and, and you know different shows different networks tend to be quite friendly towards each other um, and there's quite a lot of collaboration and people guest on other people's shows and there's like a general feeling that we're all in this together helping this medium advance you know there are exceptions of course but like on the whole it seems to be that way even amongst the most popular shows is that the same with the app developers making the apps that we that we run our shows on? It's it's probably not quite the same because I, I guess we're dealing with a much smaller sort of subset of customers. So th- the fact is that there probably can't be ten podcasting apps, and they they all do well enough that their respective authors you know make a decent income. They can probably realistically only be you know three or four successful ones. So <laughs> there's that competitive side of it is that you want to be in the top four, otherwise your app is not going to be financially viable and you're not going to be able to do this full-time. But there is the other side of it that, and this varies per app, but that we're quite friendly with some of the other podcast authors. And uh, for example, in the early days, we were quite friendly with the Instacast uh, developer, Martin, I think his name was. Yeah. Um, that, that relationship went a bit south when we kind of overtook him on the charts. Like I think he felt we're quite affronted by that and we haven't really talked since. You know, we had some interesting sort of exchanges over Twitter and I, I guess I'm I'm not good friends with Marco, but I know Marco and, you know, he sometimes asks me sort of technical, you know, questions just in Twitter DMs and we have a bit of a backwards and forwards and it's it's kind of tentative. Like I, I, I don't want to give him, you know, the entire code base of a rap and say, <laughs> here, launch a competitor. But go crazy, sometimes, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go crazy. So, but sometimes if he runs into a problem that I've run into, I'm like, hey, you know, you should think about doing it this way or this is what we've done. And sometimes I'll ask him, you know, how did you – because he's, he's building out the same sort of inf- server infrastructure that, that we currently have. And sure. he's probably the first podcasting app on iOS to do that sort of thing. So, you know, I've been asking him, you know, things like, yeah, how, how do you uniquely identify an episode? How do you do this? And there's, there's sometimes where we won't share information. Like I had a Bluetooth problem that I worked on, 
I think for a good two weeks and I had to sit in the freezing cold of, of like a car that I borrowed, you know, 11 o'clock at night, five, five degrees outside and it's raining and I'm trying to fix this a stupid Bluetooth code. And, and he oh, asked me right. about it. I understand. I was like, why were you in a car? Now I get it. Because you were yeah, connecting to the it, car. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Every yeah. head unit in a car is slightly different. You know, people feel that Bluetooth is a standard and it is, but at the same time it isn't. You know, some cars implement it very weirdly. And it took me ages to figure out this bug and I had to basically borrow a car from someone and kind of, you know, sit there till the wee hours of the morning. And Marco had exactly the same problem. He's like, hey, how did you solve this? And I'm like, mm, like I I really want to tell you, but at the same time, this is this is a competitive advantage to us, and and somewhere you have to draw the line. I'm like, you know what, this this took a lot of effort, and maybe you have to figure out this part on your own. Maybe we're happy to talk about some of the other stuff that we have in common, but yeah, every now and again there is a sort of line drawn that that these guys are competitors, and you kind of have to keep, you know, a little bit back. Does that make sense? It does. And as a creator of the stuff that goes into your apps, I am encouraged that you try and help each other out because it's important to me as a creator. And I want to talk a little bit about actually your relationship with creators. It's important to me that there is at least a base level of consistency between the apps that you create because it's really important that people can find my shows easily in what you do. Yeah. That and that they are able to listen. The worst thing that can happen to me is something bad goes in your app that makes people stop listening to my show. Like, that's the worst possible thing. So if, if you guys are working together, even in a, a, a simple way, and just sharing information to try and make the overall experiences that you both create, or that you all create, um, to be better, then that makes me as a creator happy. Yeah, and and that that makes sense to me. Like as as podcast app developers, we like we're not we're creating the app, yes, but you guys are actually creating all the the content that people want. Like if there was no podcast, there would be no no purpose to having a podcast app. You know that that part is obvious. And I, I'd like to think that amongst all of us, there's a very high degree of respect towards you know the people that make the podcast. You know, if something goes wrong and someone can't get there their show then that's quite a big deal to us you know we we encourage people to report that to us on twitter and we try and fix it you know right there and then if we can because we we recognize that you know the way people get podcasts is is very important to podcast authors and they want to try and you know always know you know what, what the download numbers are and they want to know that people can get their show when that comes out and they they want to know that when they type it into search you know it, it comes out and that that is a big deal to us i'd say as podcast developers though we're not we don't really have a, a common sort of forum that we all jump on and we can sort of share ideas and problems and and maybe that that wouldn't be such a bad thing if we kind of got to that stage but i have a feeling that might still be a few years away and only because it at the moment it is kind of hyper competitive like there are only a, a few spots up for grabbers and everyone is trying to grab those spots and everyone is keeping a lot of things you know very close to their chest so it's that kind of relationship like for example i've never ever spoken to the creators of downcast um, I don't. I wouldn't even know who who those guys are. I don't you know, know who they are. And no, it's maybe and I'm not saying one. that. Like, but it, I I feel like I I know at least a little bit about the creators of all of the big apps, but I I feel like I don't know anything about the people that make Downcast. And at the same time, there's a there's a group in Germany. I think they've called themselves Podlove. I don't know if you've heard of those guys. Yeah. So they're trying to make all these new standards for podcasting. You know, how do you do chapters and episodes? How do you do uh, feeds where you can break it up into multiple feeds? But it's it's a struggle because we, you know, we talk a little bit to those guys, and you know, I think the Instacast guy Martin is kind of on board with that. But it's it's a struggle to get that rolled out and kind of standardised into different apps because none of us are really 
at the stage yet where you know we're super viable platforms that you know we can spend sort of two or three months working on sort of you know new things and and none of us are at the stage either that we've kind of you know gone ahead of iTunes. I'm not sure what your download stats looks like, but I, I imagine in most cases it's iTunes number one by like a big long way in terms of of downloads. Would that be right? Used to be. Um, I don't have those numbers as granular as I used to be, as they used to be. I know that we're working on that, but like um, there was a time when like um, this was maybe going back like three years that Instacast made up like a third and then everybody else everything else kind of shook out which was really interesting to me um and that was maybe on this show but like this was maybe in the earlier days i don't know what that looks like now i suspect that it's very different um this is probably maybe 18 months ago or something like that um, okay fair enough see that but i i yeah I, I suspect that it does look a lot different i don't know how that shakes out now though yeah, yeah, and I, to be honest, I don't know either. That's that's another thing that that we've always thought about from time to time is how do we share uh, more stats with podcast authors, and how do we even get stats for from other apps? Like I, I have no idea, like how many copies of Downcast there are, how many active users there are, you know what, who's number one, who's number two, and not so much from a a competitive chart position, but as as a podcast listener, I'd be quite interested to know. How do people consume all these things? You know, what's the number one way? What's the number two way? What do people use uh, when they're in their car? And I don't think any of that is really widely available at the moment. So how important do you think it is that podcast creators work with podcast app creators? Like, how do you th- how do you think that the makers of shows can help make your app better and vice versa? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I think it is important and... But I think the thing you want to avoid is any sort of feeling that you're preferencing one app developer, you know, over another. Yeah. Like, for, for example, when you guys launched Directional, like, you didn't contact us and say, hey, we're launching a new show. Can you feature us? We we found out about your show because, like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of the prompt. And I'm like, oh, you know, I've got to feature this front and center in our app. But I, I do wonder sometimes if some people perceive that as you know, these pocket cast guys are quite friendly with these five by five guys. And, you know, I, I don't, you'd never want to create that perception that you're, you know, you're favoring one over another. And I don't really know how you'd, you'd structure that sort of relationship. Like, obviously we want to know when you're bringing out new shows, that's, that's insanely important. But, uh, you know, apart from that, I, I don't know how we, we work closer together because we're not even the developers ourselves. Like I said, we're not sort of part of any community or group and, if we kind of struggle to talk to each other, then I don't know about how we go, you know, working with authors either. Because I don't, I don't know what these what these things could be, but I feel like that there are there are more features that can be brought to the actual podcasts themselves, which can tie in more with apps. But it's kind of one of those chicken and egg problems that for me to do something, if I'm going to come up with something, I need everyone to support it. And yeah, exactly. Where, you know, where do you start with that? And I guess that's kind of the interesting thing. Is like, but I, I think the, 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 the real benefit that we have, and if there is anything ever that comes along that's like that, is it seems that on the whole, the people that create podcast apps care about the independent podcast community. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that all the podcast apps I've ever seen are created by people that themselves are you know massive podcast enthusiasts and they they will always kind of be on the lookout for 
you know, what, what do authors want? I guess one thing that we keep coming back to is that we want our all the shows we listen to to be successful so they hang around. And it seems like at the moment the way to monetize a show is to, you know, to do an ad read or two. But I, I do wonder if there's a way to build some kind of common platform where in some way or another users can actually contribute to a show. Like they can either pay for it as a subscription or, you know, a hundred different sort of other ways yeah. of, of doing funky sort of models su- such that, you know, someone like yourself could start a podcast and potentially not even have advertising or have advertising as, you know, a side thing, but actually have have a way for users to give back to you guys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's in, it, that stuff is interesting, but as has been spoken about before, with the, I mean, and this is based on the current um, models, the amount of money that you make is so much lower with direct donations. Yeah, definitely. Because there are so so many few people that are, are willing to pay than there are willing to listen to an ad, which works out fine for us once you get to a point. I mean, because it's kind of like a okay, I can't get ads. Maybe people will will donate because my show gets listened to by five hundred people. But the problem that you've got there is you've got five hundred people, and there's only X amount of people that are ever going to donate. So it's those 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 sort of models. They seem to like currently how they are they like trail alongside of each other you get more donations as you get more listeners you get more sponsors as you get more listeners and they yeah. just they just grow at like a similar rate um but it could just be potentially because of the way that we do these things doesn't work i remember there was a there was a um a service called flatter which i know yeah, the yeah. cast guys oh, yeah. tried to work with for a while but then apple kind of said no can't do that. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't know what the there there are maybe ideas that can't be done. I don't know what they will be, but you know, I'd, I'd, as from a podcasting user perspective, I'd love to see because at, at the moment the way people go is they either have advertising on the show or they make a a premium fee that's completely locked out. You know, unless you pay for it. Uh, I wonder if there's something in between where you give everyone a free podcast, maybe it has advertising in it, but there's there's some way to actually you know sell additional things, whether it's early access to a show, whether it's I don't know, I don't really have the answers, but there there, mu- there must be a better way to kind of engage your audience because I mean I'd I'd love to give you know some of you guys some money. Like uh, whenever I listen to a really great show, I'm like oh, I wish I could just you know kick those guys you know, a few dollars or whatever, but the infrastructure is not there. And, and I, I hear what you're saying, but the no, donations thing doesn't really work. You can't, at the moment, it doesn't seem like you can fund an entire podcast off donations. And then once you are super popular, then, you know, it's a lot easier to ask advertisers and say, hey, you know, we have one million listeners, you know, would you like to, you know, advertise with us? <laughs> yes, we definitely would like to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Where can people um, keep up to date with what you're up to, what you're doing? So probably the best place to head is shiftyjelly.com, all one word. And for our American listeners, Shift Jelly also works because they seem to want to spell it with a Y quite often. I don't know why. But both, both will get you to the right place. We've made sure of that. And you are on Twitter as well. Uh, yes, I'm Rusty Shelf on Twitter, although I doubt you'll find anything sort of very interesting there. It's just me making bad jokes and occasionally talking about development. Thank you so much 
for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. If you'd like to catch up with the links discussed today, go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 87. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to Russell for joining me today, and thank you all for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.